am Cherise Davis and I'd like to welcome you to Pineapple Talks. Several years ago, I was introduced to the word hospitality. It resonated with me and it sounded so good to my ears. I even ended up going to school to learn about it. These days, I am a professor and guess what my subject matter is? Hospitality. The world of hospitality is a pretty big one. In fact, it is a trillion dollar industry. As a way to help paint a picture of opportunities for my students and enlighten others who may be curious, I decided to interview men and women who play a part in the hospitality industry. Well, I am so excited to have Marsha Archer joining me today. Marsha is the president of M Squared PR. Yes, I said PR. Trust me. <laughs> is all up in hospitality, so don't you worry. Marsha, thank you so much for joining me today and accepting the invitation to the interview. How are you? Absolutely. Thank you, Sharice. This is a pleasure to be here. I'm doing well. You know, we're in the dog days of summer, just kind of winding down. Things are supposed to be going back to normal, but we all know that that isn't really happening. Um, kids are back in school. We actually got a new dog. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's like bikes, you know, I chased a bicycle for about four months because they were in such high demand, you couldn't get one. And so when we decided that we were at home and finally had time to actually, you know, embrace a dog, and at first we were thinking we were going to do a puppy, um, we decided to get a puppy and we were like, okay, let's go get one. And there was a shortage, like I was on a waiting list. I'm like on 18 different waiting lists. And just as luck would have it, we found a four-year-old standard poodle that needed to be rehomed. And so we went that route. So I kind of thought to myself, I'm not cut out for the puppy days anyway. I don't want to be chasing a puppy around the house and cleaning up constantly. So um, it was the best decision that we could have done. So thank you for asking, but we're doing really, really well. Yay, I'm so glad and just very happy to hear that. Um, Yes, and there's there's a new Archer family member. So what's, yes, we added to the family, but we're so excited. What's your dog's name? His name is Windsor. So you know, I'm, I'm British, British born. And so I was like, I needed something that was a little bit British. And yes. there's a street close to us called Windsor. And so we were driving down the street. Of course, he had a different name uh, prior to us adopting him. I just didn't like it. It just wasn't very us. And so yeah. I was like, we gotta change it. And we literally was on Windsor. Um, and I said to my husband, Windsor, how about Windsor? He was like, I love it. And we went yeah. to the other names, but that one, once I said it, he was like, that's it. And we haven't looked back. So his name is Windsor. I love it, Windsor. So that's a great segue to the first question I wanna ask you, which is about your upbringing and where you're from. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was born and raised to Jamaican parents, um, but born and raised in London. They had migrated to London, as many Caribbean people do. Um, they go to Europe or they go to New York, as we know. Um, and so in the case of my parents, they went to Europe and um, landed in London. My dad used to be a pilot for British Airways, and so my mom was a nurse her entire life. They had me. I'm an only child. And so... Um, 
Yeah, I spent most of my youth there in London. And when I was almost middle school age, I moved to New Jersey. So um, from England to New Jersey, you can just imagine the culture clash, right? And what I went through to adjust and assimilate there. Um, and then from there, I went to Florida and I've lived in Selma, Alabama, and then um, Orlando and went to school in Tallahassee and then eventually landed here in Atlanta. Wow, I did not, I knew a little bit of your background, but I did not know that you were from all those different places too. Yeah, like, yeah. Know. So when you like reflect on your life growing up, was there any inclination that you would step into hospitality in some way? You know, not at all. Um, I think as every child does, you grow up wanting to be either your mom or your dad. And in my case, I knew I didn't want to fly planes. Um, I wanted to be a nurse. And so I pursued that actually. And I think everybody should pursue what they think it is that they want to do as early as they can um, to be exposed and to just kind of figure out if this is what they like. Because sometimes you just start leaning in on something that looks like it should be a fit for you, but sometimes isn't. Um, so I became a candy striper in a hospital in New Jersey um, while I was in high school and I tried it and I worked in the physical therapy department and I remember the first day on the job they were like okay you need to go get patient XYZ from XYZ room and I was like wait when I got him down to the room I was like wait I gotta touch him I literally have to touch his feet to help him walk I was like I can't do this and that's when I knew that you know the medical field was not for me um, and so it wasn't until I really got to college and kind of was in my freshman year, um, my mom was like, every time something's happening around us, you're always like the nosiest person. You want to know why you want to interview people. Like I would literally see like the middle of a cop chase and, and get out and figure out where it's going to stop and see what happened. And I would just stand there and observe. And my mother was like, you need to do something in news. So I knew that, you know, I was going to take some of those characteristics that my mom defined me by and I was going to take that and kind of build a career around it. So I knew I was going to do something around media. And so that's how I landed on media, but it's not at all how I landed on hospitality. And we can touch on that whenever you get to yes. Interesting. So post high school, yeah. where did you end up going to college? Like what was your college story? Where did you go? Why did you yeah. choose that particular school? I am a rattler by heart. I went okay. to Florida I'm in uh, Tallahassee, Florida, um, and I specialized in media and public relations and journalism. So, um, you know, I enjoyed my years at FAMU. It really um, built me up to be who I am. It's, if you take a look at like our VP um, elect, you know, Kamala Harris, and you think about how does she get to that point? There is just something to be said about an HBCU and it's just this unspoken thing that happens that you experience and it just builds you up in a way that you're like, okay, I hope this never leaves me. I don't know how to describe yeah. it, but it's just something that's instilled in you. And so I think the same at Florida A&M, I just you know, became this other person. It wasn't the person I was in high school. It wasn't the ambitions that I had in high school. It just kind of developed. And I'm glad it's here because it has really carried me through life and carried me through my career so far. I love that. I love that you're basically saying that there were things that you learned then while you were in school that, that still apply now. Oh. So between, between college and starting your own business, there were some stops that you made along the way. Yeah. So tell, tell us about sort of that, the career path that you took, you know, once you finished uh, undergrad. 
Yeah. So, you know, when I finished undergrad, I actually pursued a uh, internship. And I know a lot of people think, oh, an internship is something that I just need to do in school. And once school is a wrap, like I need a job, I need to get paid, I need, I need to make a lot of money. For me, I looked at an internship and I remember when the recruiter came from the nonprofit organization that took me to Selma, Alabama, ultimately. But I remember when he came to Florida A&M and he looked at my resume, he goes, wait, you're about to graduate. And I was like, uh-huh. He's like, well, I was really looking for an undergrad who I could groom. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know that I'm right for a job right now. I kind of want to get a little bit more training because you feel like you get it in school, but it really isn't until after school that the training really sticks. And so um, I pursued him and pursued him. And he just was like, okay, you're relentless. Let me just give you this internship. And so that took me to Selma, Alabama, where I worked for a nonprofit organization. And when I tell you, absolutely fell in love with the nonprofit sector, because it is where you really see the efforts of your work. You really get to see what you're doing. Um, you're benefiting people, you're benefiting organizations, you're raising money, and you're doing it with very little. And it allows you to be creative because you have to figure out how you're gonna do a lot with a little. And so um, in this particular case, it was a nonprofit organization, a Catholic run organization, had nothing to do with my religious affiliation or anything. I just love what they represented. And they really helped people um, by giving them a hand up and not a handout um, and helping them with things like educational resources and um, you know, just things that they would need to get through life, whether it was diapers and you know, programs around children and first time parents. Um, and I did that for a year and a half. It was hardly paid. Um, but it was an opportunity for me to, uh, you know, be beneath somebody who was going to groom me, who was going to allow me to make mistakes and not hold me truly, truly accountable for them, but really take me through the process and explain to me what mistakes I made and what I needed to do to correct them. Um, and from Selma, which obviously we all know and has been popularized by John Lewis and um, God rest his soul, but, you know, he recently passed and he popularized the Edmund Pettus Bridge and all of that. So I live right across the bridge when you cross over the Edmund Pettus Bridge. But um, from there, um, that experience let me know that there was definitely a soft spot inside of me. And I think that is one thing I always love to share with people is figure out who you are at your core. And for me, I knew that there was a part of me that was always going to be satisfied by doing something greater than myself, doing something for the community, doing something for other people. And that position led me to apply for a nonprofit PR position with Habitat for Humanity. And so obviously, very like-minded, they help people build their own house, they give them a mortgage, not like it's a house that's handed to them. And so for me, um, I got to work with the likes of former President Jimmy Carter. I was able to go to the Philippines. I was able to do a ton with every single first lady, um, uh, which is essentially a governor's wife or um, a first husband, which was the governor, if she was female, her husband. But we did it with all of the first ladies across the country and we helped them build a house in their capital city. So those were some of the initiatives that I helped drive. But Again, it was about watching these families who felt like they would never have a chance at home ownership, um, move into a home, assume a mortgage, you know, give their family a better opportunity to grow up in a place that was more stable. Um, and so I knew that for whatever cha changes I made with my career, nonprofit was always going to be a part that I held dear and, and definitely found an opportunity to do. Wow. 
Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, personally, just, I really am loving your point about getting to know who you are at the core. Um, and I, I just feel like that is, um, when I was talking to um, a friend yesterday, she was just sharing, kind of being in COVID has caused her to reflect and remember to go back to the things that, um, that matter to you. Yeah. And just seeing uh, how you were able to take what mattered to you and were able to have a career around that. And so it is possible, like some people say, oh, you got to be focused on making the dollars or, or you have to right. But you can actually be able to do both. Absolutely. That's, that's very And I think that's critical is that you don't just chase the money because essentially you realize that you spend so much time working during the day, during the week, month, year, <laughs> that it doesn't just boil down to money. Because especially if your job is one where you kind of got to be on call, maybe you got to work weekends, maybe, you know, in hospitality, you got to work those holidays. Do you love what you do so that giving up those holidays, that time with your family, um, you know, those birthdays um, that fall over a holiday or a very busy time in the hospitality industry, are you okay with giving that up and still loving what you do? Um, And so when you answer that question, that's to let you know whether or not you love where you are and what you're pursuing. Because for me, um, when I made that shift into hospitality and how I essentially got there was when I got to a place and I, I, I realized after Habitat for Humanity, mm-hmm. I went to work for the Home Depot and you know, Habitat for Humanity and Home Depot are so connected because Home Depot was one of the biggest sponsors for Habitat for Humanity. Right. So I got there and worked with Arthur Blank and Bernie Marcus opening up a Home Depot store every 48 hours. So I was with them back in you know their early days. Wow. Um, and some days I didn't know what city I was in. I didn't know where I was waking up because I was just in the next city and the next store that I needed to open. Um, mm-hmm. And from there, I realized I did not enjoy the rat race of retail. It was just <laughs> so about the dollar. And I was like, okay, but what about the people that need help? And what about the community around the store? And so when I realized that I was leaning back into that, I decided to reflect on what was, you know, what, who was Marsha at her core? And what really is it that makes her excited about going to work? And what I reflected on was when I worked at a front desk of a hotel in Tallahassee, putting myself through college and um, I remember needing braces for the second time. And my mom was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not paying for it this time. <laughs> she was That's like, I, I don't do the second time for anything. So you're going to have to pay for that yourself. And I was like, okay, no problem. And I was yeah. like, I need a job. And so I applied for a job at a hotel. And they were like, well, the only slot we have available is working from like 9 p.m. until 5 a.m. And I was like, uh, like as in 9 p.m. to 5 p.m. And they were like, yeah. And so I worked at a front desk and literally the number one client for this hotel was the Greyhound bus drivers because they had such odd shifts that would bring them into Tallahassee um, that they were the core clients. And I enjoyed that job when I tell you so, so much that when I got to a point in my career where I was now out of college, considered myself an adult and able to make my own decisions, I really reflected on what was the job of all jobs that really just lit my fire. And again, I've reflected back on that hotel experience, not the Habitat for Humanity, not the Home Depot. It was something that was just a little part-time job, three days a week from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. And um, I said, okay, I need to explore this hotel thing. And that's what led me 
to look on. Um, at the time, it was like monster.com or career builder. And I got on there and there was a job at Four Seasons uh, Hotel in Midtown Atlanta. Um, and it had been vacant. You know how it tells you how long the job has been posted? I want to say it had been posted like five months. And it told you how many people had applied. And it was like three. And I was like, oh, I don't really know what Four Seasons is. I have never really been to one. But let me apply. And when I applied, I got an answer like that. Wow. And so they looked at my resume. And I remember going in for that first interview. And they were like, well, you've worked here and here and here. Why didn't you stay? Like you stayed a year here, two years there, one year there. And I was like, yeah, I didn't, I just wasn't challenged. It wasn't really me. And they were like, well, I'll be honest. I'm really looking for somebody who's going to stay long-term and be invested in this company. Cause that's who we are. That's our culture. Um, and I remember responding and saying, I feel like this is the type of company that will challenge me, challenge me enough and challenge me long enough that I will stay. And I ended up staying for, with Four Seasons for almost six and a half years as their PR director. And that was my entry into hospitality. That's where I fell in love with it. Um, and at the time, Four Seasons didn't have a name in Atlanta. It was Ritz-Carlton, right? Because as many yeah. people probably know, Ritz-Carlton was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Their first hotel was here. Um, and so it was Four Seasons against Ritz-Carlton and nobody knew what Four Seasons was or what it represented. They didn't even know that it was a luxury property. Um, and so it was my job single-handedly to put Four Seasons up against Ritz-Carlton and basically differentiate the two and explain how they were different and how their brands were different and what made Four Seasons better. And so over six years, I took Four Seasons from here to there. There. Wow. I mean, like your story just gets, it just, it grows and it just gets bigger. <laughs> that's so amazing to me um yeah I, and I just hearing the, the progression because I remember you said when you first got to Four Seasons you were like I don't even know about this brand but here you say that now you're like oh my god how could you not know it's the Four Seasons exactly right but, yeah you know to know that you were part of you know that ex that excitement factor you know making the Four Seasons what it is that respected property here yeah in the area and then coming to see how you know how big the brand is you know worldwide so yeah wow and and it really bridges the gap between you know because you said it earlier you're going to tell and i will explain how i got from pr to hotels but i really took two things that i loved one being pr and the other being hotels because i eventually reflected back on that you know that hotel in tallahassee and i realized yeah i was bridging two things that i really loved that meant a lot to me and i finally had ended up in a place that I was in love with and a job that I was obsessed with, honestly. Yeah. Wow. It's okay to be obsessed with good things. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so now the origin story of your company, M Squared PR. So yeah. tell us you know, how you came up with the name, um, you know, what kind of led you to stepping out there and starting your own business? Because it's one thing to do PR for someone else, but then you started your own business. That's yeah, me. I did. How did that happen? And so for me, starting my own company was never anything on my wish list. It was never like a big ambition or goal. Um, I think with me, when I had children and I realized that I was pouring so much of myself into a company um, that at the time when I was um, getting ready to go back to work, I really wasn't ready. And it wasn't so much me. It was uh, my daughter wasn't ready. She had colic. 
she wasn't sleeping through the night. And I was like, oh gosh, I wish I could have a little bit more time. Um, and because that time wasn't extended to me, I had to go back. I had to go back to work despite um, you know, what I needed or wanted. And it was at that time where I had to self-reflect and say, okay, I've always put this company first and I've always put myself second. And the one time that I wanna put myself first, um, it just wasn't extended to me. And so when I realized that, I started kind of looking over my shoulder at other opportunities. And I realized it wasn't that I needed another job in another company. I needed to take everything that I had gained, everything that I had learned, everything that I knew, and kind of bottle it up and figure out what I was going to do next. And it's, it's really good to have people around you who see more in you than sometimes you see in yourself. Um, and for me, that was an assistant. My, it was my administrative assistant that sat right outside of my door, answering my calls, giving me emails and, you know, telling me how to prioritize my day and kept saying, Marsha, you need to do more. You need to start your own company. So we, when you asked me where the name came from, it was him. You asked me why I started the company. It was him because wow. I was just going to settle. I was just going to go back to work, right? Because I didn't know how to start a company. Because again, most people who do start companies, they set out knowing that that's what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And so um, he created my logo. He did everything. So everything wow. you see as my brand was created by somebody else who saw a vision for M Squared PR before I even realized it. Um, and so when I set out to start the company in 2008, it was very much like the time that we're sitting in right now, Sharice. It was a recession. It was people losing jobs left, right, and center. Um, and I voluntarily raised my hand and said, hey, I'm leaving. And they were like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you leave when you've been asked to leave? And I thought, this is the best time. And is there ever a perfect time? And there really isn't. The perfect time is when you decide to do it. Um, and so I started the company in 2008. Um, and I remember resigning from the hotel. And they were like, this is not a good time. Because at the time, the St. Regis Hotel in Buckhead was just about to open. The Intercontinental Hotel in Buckhead had just opened. I mean, there was just all sorts of growth happening around Four Seasons and they just didn't feel like it was the right time to make a change because they didn't have the time to, right? They didn't have time to bring somebody else on in PR, train them, and then start saying, okay, now here's what you need to do to get us up to speed. And so when I decided to leave, they decided to, for the first time ever, and by the way, I failed to mention that when I joined Four Seasons, I was the first black female to ever hold a PR director's position with the company. And then when I decided to resign six and a half years later, I was the first person to ever work out of house and hold a contract as a PR person for the hotel. Traditionally, everybody was a part of the, the hotel team and sat within the walls of the hotel. So, you know, within those six years, I was able to accomplish two firsts that I didn't know yeah. I was doing, didn't set entire, up. Entire four seasons, people, the all four seasons. It yeah. Means around the, the world exactly around the world yeah yeah wow. so um yeah so when i decided to do that i said okay i'm gonna start this company and i looked at my assistant i was like but what am i gonna do what am i gonna who are my clients gonna be mm -hmm. he was like just you know everyone marcia just just figure it out and go out there and i decided i didn't want to make that mistake anymore i didn't want to just go out and pursue things that were just going to pay me i decided mm -hmm. i wanted to do things that i was going to love so of course hotels were going to be a part of it. 
hospitality, restaurants, food, beverage, spas, anything that fell under that umbrella of hospitality was going to be um, a client that I would pursue. So we just celebrated 12 years in August of this year. Um, and that is exactly what we do. Now, did we try other things when things weren't going great? Because yeah, there are growing pains with any company that you start out um, you know, launching. And I, I tried to represent book authors. I tried to represent celebrities. And, you know, one thing would go wrong and I'm like, no, that's not it. And this is it's going wrong. It's not meant for me. Yeah. yeah. Stay in your lane. That is the biggest piece of advice that I could give anyone is I know when the, you know, it gets tough and you want to just say, hey, I just need to make some money. I just need to keep this business alive. Do what you have to do, but try to stay true to your core because it's one thing to take on a client and say, okay, I'm just going to do this for the money. But do you ever want to learn somebody's business on their dime? It never works out well, right? And do you want to do something that's not going to be passionate for you? It's never going to end well. And I realized that quickly within the first year of business, I realized that I needed to stick to the things that I honestly loved. And that was everything hospitality. Have we added other things over the years? Absolutely. But other things that I love and that my team loves. So retail, we've added retail, we've added mm -hmm. some real estate um, on the commercial side. So, you know, big buildings and office complexes and that kind of stuff. But again, our core function is absolutely hospitality. So we represent Four Seasons, we represent Kimpton, Hilton, Marriott. There's really not a flag that we have not represented over the last 12 years. Wow. So um, first of all, happy anniversary, 12 Thank years you. ago. Big, big deal. Yeah. Um, and so I want to just kind of dig a little bit deeper into your company and the services that you all offer. So we've been saying PR a lot in this conversation, right. but, you know, help us understand exactly what PR is and, and how that is beneficial to the clients that, that you serve. Yeah. So PR stands for public relations. And um, from that standpoint, you know, people say, so do you publicly help, you know, people relate? Kind of. Um, what we do essentially is clients will call upon us at different phases. So with the instance of a hotel, they may call on us because they're brand new, opening up in a market where they don't have a presence. Um, so if it's another Hilton hotel, but under a different name, a prime example is the Candler Hotel downtown Atlanta. It's a Hilton property. Um, but they don't have a name in the marketplace as a Candler. So what they hired us to do was to one, announce their opening, two, announce to people like their general manager that are gonna be forward facing with regards to the guests and other clients that may be in the building to host a wedding or a big meeting. Um, other things that we'll do is represent the chef and the restaurant to promote that. Because as you know, a hotel restaurant, gone are the days where you have to be a guest of the hotel to be in the building. It really is something that you promote to the general public as a place to go if you just live in the city or you just work around that destination. So um, yeah, we, we get hired for a number of reasons and we really enjoy taking that client's brand from one place and taking it to another place that they probably didn't even realize. And it's really about keeping them relevant. So in the situation of COVID, for example, we're helping a lot of restaurants pivot from being that restaurant that they're so used to having maybe 60, some cases, some restaurants fit 150 people in their dining room. Well, that's not happening in COVID. That's not happening during quarantine. 
some of them have had to pivot to curbside, to delivery, to, you know, maybe we can now only have 30 people in the restaurant. So what does that all look like? And how do they stay relevant? How do they even let their diners know that they're open when a lot of restaurants around them are closed? That is all PR. So when you see a chef on maybe Good Morning America, you know, talking about, oh, it's Valentine's Day and here's the perfect thing to whip up if you're going to stay home um, during COVID, that's PR. That's a PR engine behind that that has called a producer at the TV station, created that story, and kind of put the details around it so that it's relevant to the people who might be watching that TV show. That was a very good explanation. That makes so much sense. I'm totally yeah. trying. So I guess kind of speaking, you know, still around COVID, um, what would you say has been maybe surprising for you during this time period? Has there been, you know, what have been some pros and then what have been some of the cons for, for your company? Like, you know, how are you managing this time? Yeah, it's, it's been a really tough time, not just for us as a firm, because we're more reactive to what is happening, um, but for a lot of our clients, right? And so being in hospitality industry, I'm sure your, your class really will understand that hospitality was the very first thing to be impacted by COVID. Um, when travel stops, everything else stops. When travel stops going to a city for like Atlanta, for example, Obviously, restaurants are going to be impacted. Um, hotels are going to be impacted. When hotel occupancy drops, what happens is people aren't really going to the restaurants. Um, there aren't special events. So people start losing their jobs because you've got people who are in the banquets department who do things like busing the tables. You've got bartenders who are making cocktails. All of that slows. And what they're traditionally used to is people coming into the city, being tourists, being visitors, and patronizing. And so they're not as essentially leaning on those people who are locals or who are in the office complexes in and around those places to keep them busy. They're relying on travel. So when travel slows and occupancy slows, it hits all levels. The spa, it hits um, you know, any, it hits attractions, it hits Six Flags, it hits High Museum. So all of those businesses were impacted. And so for us, um, absolutely, we had a lot of clients who had things in the pipeline, like brand new hotels that were supposed to open within two weeks of COVID, and they had to completely pull the plug on that, right? So will they resume those projects? Absolutely. But do we know when? No, because again, even if they finish building that hotel and open it, who's traveling, right? Who's going to fill those rooms? And so um, our business has slowed as a result of that because we've had to put so many contracts on pause. In many cases, we don't even know if some of our restaurant clients will ever reopen because again, a lot of the restaurants, as we know, closed and did not pivot towards delivery or, um, you know, limited space dining. So, you know, how do they ever reopen? And if you look at a lot of the stories, a lot of the landlords of those restaurants, which we all know are probably leased and not owned, did not extend any courtesies to those uh, tenants so that they could, you know, forego having to pay rent when their restaurant was closed. Right. So having to pay rent, you're not making any revenue, um, your staff is laid off, where, where does that leave the average chef, right? Right. A lot of them won't reopen. So yes, it's it's been devastating to the hospitality industry, to yeah. say the least. And uh, it's very interesting too, because I remember 
like being in school and then having, you know, projects, group projects. And I feel like what we're experiencing with COVID would have been like some scenario that we would have been given, right? you know, in a school assignment. But like now this is like real life and having to, you know, react and figure it out and be creative and, um, and adjust, you know, and yeah. I, and we're kind of still in a space too where we don't, like you said, really know what's going to happen next. Um, but I think it's great that the companies that, or the, the companies that are still clients of yours, um, they're in good hands. I, I know that. Yeah. So you- and we're really helping them pivot. Like Booyah is one of our restaurants. It's B-U-L-L-A. There's one in Midtown. Um, and it's a tapas Spanish influenced restaurant. They do a really good job and they have stayed open throughout the entire process and time mm-hmm. period. And Today, we had the chef, the executive chef, um, the corporate executive chef, because the company itself is based in Miami. He did a Mm -hmm. Zoom session, and paella is one of their signature dishes, which is the big pan with the rice and the seafood in it, and it's delicious. But they did something really creative where they offered um, people to go into the restaurant or to order ahead and pick up the pan to keep um, the shrimp, all of the ingredients that you need to make a paella. And then you would log on for free. Um, mm-hmm. The paella kit was $18, but then the, um, the session, the Zoom session was completely free. You logged on and you literally made a 30 minute lunch of paella um, during the, the middle of the day. And it was great because yeah. if you're lunchtime and you're working from home and you still have that 30 minutes to just kind of digress and actually have lunch, this was a perfect lunch, but what it also did, it reinforced Booyah. It told you what they did. It told you who they are and it made them so much more approachable, but most importantly, it made them memorable. So whether you had ever heard of them before and this was your first time logging on, I'm sure when you get back to dining out again and COVID is just not a thing, you will absolutely think of them because you'll think about, okay, mine was just okay that I made. I want to go where they really perfect it. Wow. That's very creative and definitely, like you said, will leave a mark uh, where people will want to come back. And obviously, yes, I mean, so many of us are using, you know, Zoom and other uh, platforms to, to, to keep businesses and, you know, keep life going. So great idea. So I want to just kind of ask another question as it relates to the scope of work that you're in specifically for students or people who are wanting to move into the PR area. Um, Just kind of share about some advice or recommendations that you have for someone who wants to move into into PR and then maybe specifically for hospitality related. Yeah, so on the hospitality side, uh, PR is a, a, a lot of fun. I'll be honest. I love the fact that, and I've honestly never really had a job that wasn't um, different from day to day. I don't think I would thrive in a position where I went in and did the exact same thing every day. I think I'm a little too high energy for that. Um, but I would say in the PR realm, it's, I would say the foundation is critical thinker got to be able to think quickly on your toes think about what we're going through now how do you help companies pivot um you know how do you write really quick social media you got to be social media savvy got to be a solid writer um 
And you got to be somebody who's easy to connect with. That's the biggest thing about PR is that you're relying on so many people to want to listen to what you have to say, because again, you're considered to be a brand ambassador of every single client that you uh, represent. So for example, if somebody comes up to me, they may very well say, and I, I get this all the time, people will reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, and just say, hey, Marsha, it's my anniversary. Where should I go to eat? Why are they asking me? That's because they know I'm connected to the F&B yeah. industry. They may say, hey, I'm going to Charleston, South Carolina. What hotel should I check out? Why are they asking me? Because they know, in addition to representing hotels, that every city I go to, I make it my business to figure out what the best hotels are and just to understand the marketplace of hotels in general. Um, so again, you want to be aligned with what it is that you're passionate about. And I would say with regards to PR, definitely a solid writer, someone who's approachable, makes it your business to stay on top of what's happening in the industry. Yeah. Like every morning before I get out of bed, I, you know, flip my phone open and it's not a flip phone. I don't know why I said that, but you know, I Me. open up my app Me. and I, <laughs> I swipe, yeah. I swipe and skim through just kind of what's going on, whether it's jumping on CNN, uh, Travel and Leisure, New York Times. Like I want to be on the pulse of what is happening so that when I have to engage with my clients and they're saying, hey, did you see that travel is supposed to resume in 60 days that I'm going, oh, I didn't know that. I should know that if travel and hospitality is my thing and I'm yeah. actually servicing clients in that business, I got to make it my business to know what is happening so that instead of them telling me what's going on, I should be telling them and making sure that they're aware and that they know that I already have a plan in place. So the day in the life of a PR person is absolutely um, overwhelming at times. That's what I was really asking you. Yeah. I'm listening and it, it's, it sounds so exciting. You're like, oh, I want to do what she does. People may yeah. feel that way, but um, yeah, kind of what are the what are the aspects of it that are, are really hard? So you said challenging for sure, but like yeah. what, overwhelming, like what, what are I, some of the things? Yeah, it, it can get overwhelming. And I would say the things that get overwhelming, especially from an agency standpoint, is that you're juggling multiple clients and right, every client's brand is very different. And how do you adjust from tone to tone to tone to speak about those clients? Um, I would say overwhelming is um, if something happens, right? A crisis, and I've had that happen before where something could happen, right? People have died in guest rooms before. How do you respond? Um, there have been shootings in hotels before. How do you respond? What do you say? The client is freaking out, but how do you keep them calm and how do you jump in and assist? So. Mm -hmm. That's the far end of it. The, that's not the typical day, but I would say, yeah, it's, it's a lot of writing and, and making sure that you're getting that information out to the media and that you're doing it timely. And as Fine. you know, people in hotels, they consider themselves to be in operations. How do you slow them down and say, hey, I know it's only August, but I, ne I need you to think about Christmas so that I can get you know, Christmas stuff out to the media who's working three months in advance psychologically, the operational people, they don't want to think like that. Yeah. They're so in the moment, they're so by the day. So being able to build that rapport with the client and say, I know it's August, I know it's 80 degrees outside and I need you to be mm -hmm. in the 20 below temperature and think there about the holidays. But yeah, yeah it's, it's one of those things that sometimes you're chasing just mm -hmm. to get the job done. But it's how do you build that rapport with the client so that they will listen when you chase? Right, 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 right. 
Wow. Uh, I, I almost kind of feel like I'll have to get with you to do a part two because I have, I'm thinking of more questions, but we can, we can talk about a part two because I'm thinking even more just deeper in terms of um, personal growth that you've had to had, have as a, um, as a owning your own business, but then the, the growing pains of just being in the PR field. So yes, we, we have to schedule like another, another time. But the last question I want to ask you um, has to do with the later phase. So we've talked about the then phase, you know, when you were growing up, what that was like going to college. We talked about the now right. running business and being in the midst of COVID. And so later, um, as you mentioned, just kind of not just thinking about now, but looking at later with your, with your clients. Um, are there any spaces or places or, or areas that you would like to see your business move into or, or, or you personally, like where you want to be in the coming years? Yeah. You know, within my company, I really love coaching and developing people. I love watching them come through my doors and say, you know, here's where I am, but here's where I want to go. And whether that's through an internship or an employee that just wants to know more or wants to try their expertise in PR in the hospitality realm, I really enjoy developing people. That's number one. I would say um, for the firm in general, though, I would love to see us go international, not just in terms of our presence, but in terms of the clients that we represent. Like I would love to have a hotel or resort in the Caribbean because I personally love to travel, right? So what better to do than travel and work at the same time um, and just kind of play, you know, uh, partner your pleasure and your work together. So I would say that's definitely high on the Richter scale for the firm. Um, I would also say in terms of diversity, really trying to focus on building up more diverse clientele in terms of, I think right now COVID has really introduced me to a lot of people that I was too busy um, to really pay attention to before because I was so consumed with the day-to-day -day and, you know, kind of the slowdown of a lot of my other clients. I've had a chance to read and, you know, like, um, what was it? Food and Wine just did a summary of the top 20 Black bartenders across the U.S. and one happened to be one that I represent. And when I looked at that summary, I was like, wow, there's some really- There's so many people yeah. out there. Absolutely. Um, and so I've been diligently reaching out to all of those people saying, you know, what are you doing? How did you get to this place? What is your story? Much like you're interviewing me, I've been interviewing them. And I hope to do some things that allows to really give um, the spotlight to a lot more of the African Americans that are in hospitality. I've actually also jumped onto a um, a program called the Castell Project, which is based here in Atlanta. And they did a recent June 2020 um, survey of Blacks in hospitality, and then a second one of women in hospitality. Mm -hmm. And the numbers are shockingly low. So mm -hmm. I would love to see and introduce other people to the hospitality industry because we're just not showing up. I don't know why that is, but it is, you know, kind of my self-serving um, decision right now to to want to figure that out and to see how I can reverse that that narrative because um, when I look at the fact that we one love to travel two we'd love to spend money and dine out three I would love to know how we can get on the other side of that and be a little bit more involved 
So um, from where you sit, Sharice, I will definitely like to align with you to see how we can together help increase those numbers, especially through your coursework that you're teaching. Yes. Awesome. I'm totally here for it. And I would love to do that. Wow. I just want to say thank you again. Thank you so very much. Um, you are just so inspiring in so many different ways. And oh, thank you. there are some ways, um, you know, I've had the chance to know you for a few years. So just there's some personal um, areas that, you know, when I see you, I'm like, oh, I want to be like Marcia. <laughs> and then, you know, just even I, I really admire your commitment to your business, but yet it's it's you're committed to your family um, and you're committed to your well-being. And so even over the years of knowing you, seeing you pursue personal desires and aspirations that you've had, um, like, you know, being able to join the sorority that you wanted to join for so long and yeah. that's, that finally happened for you. And just- oh, Should we talk oh, about the pink and green today? <laughs> <laughs> just, just in case they uh, missed it. <laughs> In case they missed it, y'all. Um, but yes, I, I'm so very, very proud of you. Like just thank you. Very proud of you. Honored to know you and excited about, you know, the the next phases of your life and of your business. And um, I'm looking forward to us connecting and doing some some things together. Well, I, I don't take that lightly at all, Sharice, and I just want to commend you on everything that you're doing you you know being a teacher and being in that profession is definitely something that someone chooses to do and i know that you've chosen to do that and you've always done it with passion and you've always tried to you know tap the very best and um bring the very best to your students so i know um if they haven't applauded you yet i applaud you for doing that because it's been countless years that you've been at this and you have stayed the course and you have definitely, I, I know, will continue to make some stellar students out of this program and this coursework that you're spearheading. Yay, yay. Well, thank you so much. And um, I look forward to connecting with you later. Thank you, Cherie. Take care. And it was nice being here, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for watching. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share.